0: Some of my favorite Sundays here at First Christian are when we have the orchestra and the choir play, and I find that now that we're virtual, it's still one of my favorite Sundays to hear all the talented people in this church share their gifts with us in worship. It's, it's joyous. But as we move towards the sermon, I, I do have a confession to make, and for some it won't come as a surprise, and for others it will, that despite my jolly exterior and being the host of my own Christmas-themed game show, I am a bit of a Grinch from time to time. Christmas has never been my favorite holiday, and I find myself, admittedly, rolling my eyes from time to time at the talk of hallmark moments and things of that sort. Now, I love Advent, and I love Christmas time from a religious point. I love focusing on our words each and every week I love the waiting and the anticipation. I love trying to put myself in the shoes of those who are waiting on Jesus. Because so often Jesus is so permeated in our culture that it's just kind of assumed that it's always been there. And it reminds us that our faith has existed through such a long time. It's such a different perspective. I, I really enjoy that. I don't care much for parades or photo opportunities. And I would normally say Christmas lights, but I think the parade of lights and the deck, the park really changed my opinion on that. I loved those this year. Not that there's anything wrong with these things. If I'm being honest, if I could choose, I would pick to like all of these things. I I really would. But I just don't find the magic in them that so many others do, and rightfully so. I'm a bit of a stick in the mud. But I like to think That God made me that way. I do. And this extends to Christmas movies as well. Just to illustrate it, two of my top five favorite Christmas movies are horror movies. You know, ironically, my favorite Christmas movie is How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which basically describes my role in every Christmas planning meeting here at First Christian. How Zach Stole the Christmas. Another on that top five list, which I bet is in many people's list, is Home Alone. It's been a movie with staying power. Uh, It's the movie that's playing when we have youth Christmas parties, usually. It's always on TV and referenced in other media over and over. Kids still like it, and adults who grew up with it still like it, and people who were adults when it came out still like it. And that's hard to do. Because our culture, our entertainment changes so quickly. So Zach, if you're a bit of a grinch, why are you talking about a Christmas movie, especially after Christmas Day? Well, it's because this scripture that we're talking about today, I can't think of it without thinking about this movie. And here it is this morning from the second chapter of Luke, verses 41 through 51. Now every year... His, that's Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know. Assuming that he was was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All who had heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, why are you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. In both the film Home Alone and our scripture, you have a young kid who ends up in a situation that would horrify most parents. In both the film and our scripture, you have parents who, when they realize their child is in a situation are a long way away and pretty powerless at the moment. In both the film and the scripture you have a scenario that would frighten everybody who loves a child. This becomes a teaching moment where the parents in the Bible learn a lesson about trust. In Home Alone we have a similar lesson but both the child and the parent they learn more about each other and the world and how to come together. In both the film and the scripture, the real drama comes from the parent trying to get over insurmountable odds to be reunited with their child. Our stories share a ton of similarities. The setups mirror one another. There's two families preparing for long and eventful trips. The family in home alone and uh, our holy family are preparing trips with their loved ones and maybe even a greater community in the scripture. In the film, we see a large family getting on a transatlantic flight to Paris. In the chaos of preparing and getting everyone to the airport, their youngest son is left behind, wait for it, home alone. Somebody was brilliant in the writer's room with that one. What ensues is a barrage of hijinks and some light-hearted home invasion where our young hero, Kevin McAllister, fights bad guys, learns about himself, his resilience, and the importance of family. For our holy family, their drama takes place halfway through their trip instead of at the beginning. It seems like everything had gone well with the family and probably community-wide with their trip to Jerusalem from Nazareth. The trip to Jerusalem would have been arduous and quite the undertaking. The road in the Bible is constantly a dangerous place. In a few of Jesus' stories, we find people injured or alone on the road in some need of help. Maybe this was a cultural identifier that everyone used, but it might have been shaped by Jesus' own experiences on this trip or on a similar trip throughout his life. Because Of all these things, you needed to travel in groups and make a plan for things like water and shelter because of the length and the unknown variables of weather and other people in the desert. So the time in Jerusalem was a lot more enjoyable than the trip there and the trip back. I know our families can relate to that one. They most likely stayed with family or friends in the city. They had dinner with people they probably only saw every once in a while, and they spent time at worship in the temple, offering sacrifices and marveling at the way the city was growing and changing, I'm sure. This was the good part of the trip. The return trip home was coming up. The day arrived, and we assume everyone was in their places. Mary probably checked... With Jesus, who was in a different part of their large caravan, away from her and Joseph, it had to be large. How else would they not realize that their child wasn't with them? He was probably supposed to stay with friends or cousins who were in the back while Mary and Joseph were towards the front. But after an entire day's worth of travel, Mary and Joseph realized that Jesus is no longer with them. In regards to our film... They are halfway on a plane ride to Paris before Kevin's mother realizes that he is not with the family. Then, at both those moments, any parent or person who's been in charge of children has come to sympathize with that moment of terror that washes over you when you can't see someone you're supposed to be able to see. As a youth minister, I know amusement parks and water parks and big open public spaces at mission trips, you try to keep everyone in your line of sight and you worry if you can't find them. See, Luke tells us this realization happens when they break after the first day. Kevin's mom realizes it when they're in the air on a plane. Both families, both mothers are helpless at this moment. It may not seem that way, But it might have been easier for Kate McAllister, the mom in Home Alone, to turn the plane around than for Mary just to turn around and go back to Jerusalem because night was approaching. The family was miles from the city. Preparations had to be made. Water and resources split up. The community had to decide who would go back to protect Mary and Joseph and who would stay to protect the other people they were traveling with back home. They had to wait. and They had to sleep that night. I couldn't imagine that sleep. I've had some bad sleeps, but a sleep not knowing where your only child is. I can't imagine. Some of you may be able to. With our movie family, they're stuck too. They get and land in Paris, and they can't turn around and fly back because there's no planes for two days. Shortly, however... They were both back on their way to their children, and they were both relying on the kindness of others. Mary, surrounded by her husband Joseph, and I am making an assumption, but I think it's safe to assume other members of her community or family were on their way back to Jerusalem. And once she arrived, like all of us, I'm sure she began frantically searching for her son. Once Kate from Home Alone arrived back in America, she faced the obstacle of getting to her son from another city. But luckily, a kind stranger helped her with a ride there. This is where we see the first of our lessons from both Home Alone and our scripture today. Both stories would be very different without the help and the goodness of others. Mary and Joseph could have been hurt or worse, if their caravan refused to split and travel back with them to find Jesus. The helpful airline employee or the kind stranger did not need to help Kate get back to her son in our film today. They could have just as easily gone back to their day. And those who probably traveled back with Mary could have returned to their homes, to their farms, to their families who couldn't make the trip. See, one thing... That the birth and life of Jesus teaches us is the same lesson that we want to take from many of our Christmas movies. It's this, the belief that people are good and will look out for one another when they need it. When we apply that to our faith, we may say it like this. It is the belief that people are holy and good. We can know this because if it wasn't true, God wouldn't have become a person. In Kara's Advent study this month, one of the main questions asked was this. Why would God come to us in Jesus, in the form of a human? Why? What can we learn from this, from the Christmas story, from the story of the Gospels? This question, called Incarnation, can be answered a lot of different ways by a lot of really faithful people, but our story illustrates this morning that God comes to us Not just in the flesh of Jesus, but also in the kindness of those who come to our aid and help in times of distress. Though they do not get credit in the story, I can't believe Mary and Joseph searched all of Jerusalem by themselves for three days. They had families, they had friends, they had those who traveled with them. Much like Kate from Home Alone, I'm sure the Holy Family relied on others. This is the only story told about Jesus between his birth and presentation at the temple and the start of his ministry. And that serves as a reminder to us in itself that Jesus did not randomly appear one day. He was shaped by his community, by his teachers, his temple leaders, and his family, just like we were. And we shape others just like Jesus was shaped. This my friends, is the reason for the incarnation, to remind us that every single person we meet carries the image and the likeness of God. Our only choice then is to treat them like those who bear the very image of God. Our film, Home Alone, concludes with tons of pranks and hijinks and seasonal fun, We don't know what Jesus was doing for those three or so days in Jerusalem besides learning in the temple. I don't imagine there were any paint cans on strings or marbles on stairs or flamethrowers involved, but I can't imagine that Jesus didn't have a little fun or a little mischief. He was a 12-year-old boy, after all. He was probably a little bit scared despite him acknowledging his faith in the Father above. And I know we've all been there this year, scared, isolated, walking into the unknown, seemingly alone, even though we do take our faith in the Father above with us. But both scripture and home alone give us the happy ending we deserve. Both families are reunited and the music swells while child and parent embrace and credits roll, kind of. That's how Home Alone ends. Our scripture still ends happily. Well, it's a little less than movie perfect. Jesus gets a little talking to by Mary, but he doesn't accept this and offer an apology. He turns it around on them. I like to call it a little preteen sass that I'm sure our parents, grandparents, teachers, Youth leaders, bus drivers, siblings, Sunday school teachers, custodians, coaches, and basically every other person who's on the planet who's ever been in a room with a 12-year-old will understand. But our story doesn't end there. Just like our lives don't end with end credits and a music score that swells when something happens, life goes on. And so does our scripture. It concludes like this. Then he went down to Nazareth with them, And was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Mary's story doesn't end with the rebuke from her son. She watches Jesus continue to grow and looks back fondly on all the experiences with her son and family. Whether they were stressful or not. Our parents listening, our grandparents listening, they'll understand this. Think about it, how many nightmare trips and vacations and day trips get better the further they are in the rear view mirror? You remember that cabin that we rented that was so terrible and everyone got food poisoning on the second night and there was that incident with the raccoon in the hot tub? But boy, those pictures of the kids on that mountain, they sure were pretty. And then you pause for a second and someone says, we should do that again, we should go back. We may want the clean, easy ending from our Christmas movies, but it's this ending that we need for our faith, for our church, and honestly, for the last Sunday of 2020. This year's been tough, full stop. It's been tough. It's been a prolonged time of uncertainty and fear, not knowing when any resolutions will come. And unfortunately for a lot of us, The resolutions we did get was not one we wanted, not one that was good. Mary learned to look back fondly on what I'm sure was a horrible three days. And that's something we can take from the story. Bad times, bad years, bad events become part of our story. And we can learn to recontextualize them while never forgetting the ways that they shaped us. We don't have to pretend that the bad things were good or that they were easy or that the people we lost along the way didn't leave a hole. It's good to acknowledge those things. But one of our calls in life that we learn from Mary is if we want to continue on, it's about finding God's light in the darkness. It's why we light candles. It's why we tell stories about the good times In the bad, it's why so many people love Christmas movies, because things work out in the end. It's why people like me can tend to dislike Christmas movies. Those happy endings, they feel a little forced, but we can all be like Mary. We don't have to love our tough situations while we are in them, but we can move forward and learn more about ourselves, our families, our world, and about God just like Mary did. Amen.